Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at CubsPSPlus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS+. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome into episode 23. The offseason really does seem like it's starting to wind down, which is fine with me. I'm ready for spring training. In this episode, I'll talk about the most recent addition, first baseman Eric Hosmer, and dive a little deeper into defensive metrics now that it's abundantly clear that the Cubs are lining up the pitching and defense game for 2023. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Thanks to you all for sticking with me. We've made it to episode 23, the Ryan Sandberg episode of this podcast, which is pretty exciting, which is great to have in January because this is definitely not the exciting time of the year. We're definitely winding down on free agent moves. There haven't been really any big trades here in a while, so we don't have a ton of new stuff to talk about, but I still like to get together and and talk Cubs any chance I get. So the big move of the last week or so was the signing of first baseman Eric Hosmer. There had been some speculation heading into the post or into the offseason, obviously, that the Cubs might go after Jose Abreu. But then he was one of the first names off the board. Since then, there was talk about Mancini, Hosmer, a number of other guys. And Hosmer's the guy. I mean, I guess we probably should have seen this coming. He's certainly cheap. Uh, with San Diego Padres paying basically all of his money, the Cubs get him for a minor or a league minimum contract. So what is Eric Hosmer going to bring to the table? You know, one thing that has been talked about, Jed even talked about it himself, was lefty power. That's not Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer's a good hitter. Um, I think he's kind of gotten a bad rap the last few years, largely because of the contract that San Diego signed him to after a good run in, in Kansas City. But when you break Eric Hosmer down, he's really not a big power guy. He had eight home runs last year. Um He's going to have a high contact rate. He does not strike out a lot, which is great. Um, he does hit the ball really hard. That's probably his biggest strength as a hitter. He's got, you know, 80th percentile exit max exit velocity per baseball savant. He consistently hits the ball hard. He consistently hits the ball line drives and on the ground. Um, when you break down his at bats over the really over his whole career, he's a 57 percent ground ball guy, 23 percent line drives. So basically, you're getting. Eight out of ten times he puts the ball in play, it's going to be on the ground or a line drive. The line drive aspect is nice. I mean, he'll, like I said, he hits the ball hard, and he does spray the ball. If you look at his spray charts, he's a little bit pull to middle of the field heavy, but not really not hugely so, not the way you typically see lefties. Um, he will hit the ball to all fields. Doesn't have a ton of power, but you know he'll, he'll get gap doubles. He will hit line drives over the infield. And now with the shift off, I think it's – hopefully going to see an uptick in his batting average. And he's a guy that you know, he's a 277 hitter as it is. So while he's gotten some bad press and I know Twitter was not super excited about the Eric Hosmer signing, he is a useful bat to this lineup. I mean, he, the Cubs are very strikeout heavy, even as guys have brought their K rates down. Patrick wisdom still strikes out a ton. Christopher Morrell struck out a ton last year. 
Dansby Swanson has traditionally struck out quite a bit in his career. So adding another contact bat to that lineup that also hits the ball hard is is good. I think he'll benefit from the shift not being there. When you really look at his strengths, it's the spray hitting, hitting to all fields, strong exit velo. He's got an okay walk rate, doesn't strike out much. But that's also just kind of what you get. I think he'll probably see an uptick in homers a little bit. Um, when you look at his homer charts, he had a lot of balls in play, probably three or four extra balls in play that would you know would have gone out if it was a Wrigley. So I'm hoping by playing in a smaller park than San Diego, you know, he'll squeeze out a few more home runs. But don't look for him as a power guy. He's he's another bat in the order that can keep the keep the train moving. He's also Matt Mervis insurance. You know, we talk about lefty power bats. I think everybody's hoping Matt Mervis is the lefty power bat. He obviously crushed it in the minors last year. I continue to think he'll break spring training with the Cubs and start in Chicago. And we'll see how he hits. I mean, just just like we saw last year with Seiya Suzuki, we saw it with Christopher Morrell. Guys come up, major league pitchers don't have a book on them, and maybe they have some success. Then the league adjusts. Then you have to adjust again. So Matt Mervis is going to go right into that. And Eric Hosmer will be there to take some of the pressure off. Eric Hosmer hits in a way that, you know, he's he's not hugely he's, – he's actually almost a little bit reverse split. Um, so uh, Hosmer, Mervis, Platoon, even though they're both lefties, you know, could work. Um, they can both rotate in and out of DH. Patrick Wisdom could play first base a little bit. Um, so I think the Cubs have a lot of ways to take the pressure off Matt Mervis and not make it so that, hey, Rook, you got to be the guy. You know, that's what I think they want to stay away from. But, uh, yeah, with that, that might be outside of adding another reliever or two potentially here in the next couple weeks. That might be about the end of the Cubs free agent splash. And the last really big fish, I think, maybe has signed. Carlos Correa today uh, announced that they've come to terms with the Minnesota Twins for six years, $200 million. Obviously, his free agency has been a complete circus from ever since he signed or announced agreeing to terms with the Giants. I mean, if you look at it across this offseason, he's agreed to 31 years and $865 million worth of contracts. You know, 13 350 to the Giants, and then 12 315 to the Mets. And then obviously the concerns about whatever that lower leg injury is. I know he had surgery, had a plate put in in like 2014. So he's played on it for eight years. He's obviously a, a top free agent, so he's, it's, he's obviously been successful with it. Um, the Twins would have looked at his medicals last year, although they would have looked at it for the short-term contract that they had him on. We'll see if they have any additional concerns with his physical before they actually finalize that deal. But I would tend to think the Twins probably had the best and the most information and the longest amount of time to process it. So we'll see if he sticks. If not, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the Cubs will get him for, I don't know, 560 I don't know. Um, but his price is going to continue to come down and down. So with him off the board, there really, there are really no big offensive upgrades out there to get this offseason. Trey Mancini is still there, but now that you have Patrick Wisdom and Hosmer and you want Mervis to play, Christopher Morrell probably plays some third base. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see the Mancini fit anymore. I, I, I liked Mancini as a fit a little bit better than Hosmer, um, but I don't hate the Hosmer signing. I think Hosmer is going to be, a, he's going to be a fine player. Um, and, Probably the one area of weakness for him is defense, and that leads me into my other main topic for today. So the Cubs, when you look at this offseason a, a couple episodes ago, I w- the whole title of my episode and, and 
everything I spoke about was, hey, Jed, what's the plan? Because in the offseason, at the start of the offseason, he talked about wanting to add more power, wanting to blow teams out. And I think it's probably just an adjustment based on the way the market moved this year, the way some of those really big high price players went off the board. Now, he did add power. There's a lot of power potential in Bellinger, even if he doesn't hit. Even if he hits like he's hit the last couple of years, he's still going to put up you know, 20 home runs. Dansby Swanson is another guy who's not hes not necessarily the bat that Bogarts and Correa are or Trey Turner is, but he does have power. He'll strike out a bunch, but he will he'll probably hit 25 home runs. So, But the Cubs, what they've actually put together on paper, it's, it's very clear what they're going to go into next season with, and that is going to be pitching and defense. And of course, the Cubs had one of the best starting rotations over the – second half of the season last year. And that was with including guys like Hayden Wisniewski, Adrian Sampson, Javier Assad. So this year when they go in, they add Jamison Tyone. Hopefully Marcus Stroman is healthy all year. Hopefully the Cubs can get Kyle Hendricks back. We'll see. I'm not totally confident in that. But they start getting those guys in there. And hopefully, you know, in the first half of the season, the Cubs lost a ton of starting pitcher innings last year with Wade Miley, Drew Smiley, uh, Marcus Stroman, all those guys, Kyle Hendricks going on the shelf. If the Cubs can be healthier, they can obviously be better. And what they're lining up behind the pitching is defense. Pitching and defense, that's going to be the story this year. And I, th- I think speed, too. I'll probably hit speed a little bit more deeply in a future episode. But when you look at defensive metrics, one of the things that really stands out is defensive runs saved. And that evaluates a player at a position to show – how much defensive impact he had on run prevention. And so when you look down the lineup at the Cubs last year, you know, they only had three positions with a positive number. Um, First base had a combined defensive run saved of six, which basically was all Alfonso Rivas. Everybody else was essentially negative because the team total was six and Rivas had six. When you look at shortstop and left field, those were strong. Nico Horner had a very strong year at shortstop. He had uh, about 10 defensive runs saved, and the team had 11 11 defensive runs saved at shortstop uh, on the whole. And then when you look at left field, Ian Happ won the gold glove. He had 13 defensive runs saved himself. When you look at the team as a total, with some of the fill-ins when Happ wasn't out there, the team total was 11. But you look around other places, and we've talked about second base and center field, but center field is negative 19 defensive runs saved across the year. Right field was negative 9. I don't think Seiya Suzuki is a bad defensive player, but he was certainly not helped out by anybody in center field last year. And then third base was negative 6. You know, Patrick Wisdom was kind of odd. You know, When Patrick played in 2021, he was very strong defensively. Um, I think he was about four or five defensive runs saved. And then last year he was negative six. And Christopher Morrell, he struggled last year. And that was a very small sample size at third base. So Christopher Morrell only played about 18 games at third base last year, made a few errors, um, mostly throwing errors. And so the the team as a whole was, was negative six. At second base, it was negative four. And then catcher was pretty much flat, but it was, it was minus one. Gomes was defensive run saved of five. And then P.J. Higgins and Wilson Contreras were both negative one. So when you look ahead to this year, the Cubs have a chance to be a lot better. So let's just kind of go position by position. We've talked about this a little bit, but let's package it up together. 
So the Cubs had Tucker Barnhart to play catcher along with Gomes. And Barnhart didn't have the best defensive year in Detroit last year, but there were a lot of weird things that happened in Detroit. Javi Baez had his worst defensive year of his career. And so I don't know if there was something in the water or if this is Tucker Barnhart, but his across his whole career, he's been an excellent defensive catcher. Um, typically averages more than four more than four defensive runs saved across the season. So you combine that with Gomes is pretty typically around five. Um, you can balance that out, but I, that position has every chance to be, you know, somebody else may have to be a third catcher at some point. Maybe Miguel Amaya comes up or um, somebody else. So th- the team total could drop down to less than just Gomes plus Barnhart, but certainly could go from like a negative one to like a seven, eight, nine next year. When you look at first base, I think there could be a drop off, but really, except for when Rivas played first base, that wasn't that strong at first base last year. Anyway, Hosmer is not typically a strong defensive player. He's typically negative four, negative five. I would expect that to probably continue. Um, Matt Mervis, I don't really have strong defensive metrics from the minor leagues. DRS is a minor league stat. Isn't something that exists, at least that I can find it. If you have it, you know, drop it in the chat, hit me up on Twitter. Um, but when I, when I look at his errors and his put out rates and his chances and, and all that kind of stuff in the minors, Murphys looks pretty solid. Now, I don't know if, I don't know that he's going to be Anthony Rizzo over there, so I don't want to set those expectations, but if he can just be solid, be a zero, be a one, you know, that's good. When you look at the Cubs at second base last year, you know, you had Nick Madrigal with four defensive runs saved, which is a little bit surprising. You know, he came in with a rep from the White Sox as not being a particularly strong defender. Um, I don't know how much of that is aided by the shift. You know, he was able to play specific zones and, you know, played into the right spots. But he did a nice job last year. You know, Esteban Kiros in like 12 games gave two defensive runs saved and everybody else was pretty flat and then except for the black hole that was, you know, Jonathan VR, David Bodie, and Andrelton Simmons. I mean, the, those those guys plus Ildemaro Vargas combined for like a negative 11. So that really hurt the Cubs overall. But this year, I think there's tons of reason to be optimistic. You know, Nico Horner played second base up until last year and has always been strong defensively really everywhere he's played, but especially at second base. He was very much an above-average shortstop this year, which should translate to probably an elite second baseman. So I would look for probably you know five defensive runs saved, maybe more than that for Nico this year at second base. He has every potential to be a Gold Glove winner. We'll see what happens with the the lack of the shift, but I think that's going to play up. You know, the reason one of the reasons why Horner was so good at shortstop was because of his range. So now you move him back to second base, and he's got just elite range for a second baseman. Um, probably apropos that we're talking about this in the you know, episode 23, the Ryan Sandberg episode of uh, this podcast. But I think that's a reason to really expect that to step up. So I think, you know, as, as a whole, that position could probably go to five, six, especially if, you know, when Nico's not playing second base, if it is Nick Madrigal and if last year's numbers were not, not a fluke, then, you know, maybe that's a really, really strong position. Maybe they start getting up into eight, nine, ten as a position. Um when you look at shortstop, Dansby Swanson's one of the best defensively in the game. He's going to move over there. He is pretty typically right in line with what Nico had last year. So I would expect shortstop again to be a strong position, especially because probably in barring injuries, when Swanson's not playing shortstop, Horner probably is. So you're going to replace a very good defensive shortstop with a very good defensive shortstop. 
So I think there's every reason to think that the Cubs could be as good or better than the 11 they posted this year. You know, start getting up to 11, 12, 13, start getting up into gold glove territory over there. Third base is going to be a question mark. You know, we talked about wisdom and how he was good in 2021 and not in 2022. Not really sure what to expect there. I mean, he's he's good athletically. When you watch him play, he seems fundamentally sound. I mean, he's he doesn't have one bad habit that stands out to me, um, but he's just going to have to get the job done. I also think probably with no shift, you know, he, he was not, he's not going to have to go play that kind of extended shortstop once you drop the shortstop in the shallow right field. So hopefully he can just stay a little more home, be comfortable, be in that spot, and get the job done. And Christopher Morrell, like talked earlier, I mean, he, he had the small sample size and the, and the rough finish to the season at third base. But by all accounts, you know, I always heard about him as a solid defender coming up through the system. He showed last year he could play well at multiple positions. He played a little short, played second base, played center field. I really don't see any reason why he can't play third base. So that's supposed to be his natural position. So I don't see why he shouldn't be able to go in there and have some success. And hopefully, you know, if that's where he's playing, if he's in a platoon with wisdom because Morrell hits to more or less reverse splits and then also bounces around other positions a little bit, if he can get comfortable at third base, kind of like we saw with Hap last year. Hap has always been, and I'll talk about him in a minute, but he's always been very athletic and able to play a variety of positions. He's played second base, first base, third base, Center field, right field, left field. I'm not sure he's played shortstop and he hasn't caught. That's probably about it. Um, you know, what we saw with Hap last year, go play left field. That's your spot. So he really nailed it down. He got used to the way the ball travels, the way it comes off, you know, the way a lefty hits the slice down the left field line, how the ball comes off a righty's bat, how left field a Wrigley plays with that really tight foul territory over there. Um, if Morrell can get in that same boat and get that same – consistency and see the same thing every day. He's a great athlete and he seems to have all the right instincts. I think he'll be fine. Um, so right now it's hard to pencil that position. I'm, I'm going to sort of pencil it in as a negative three or negative four. I think there's plenty of reason to think it might be better. And then you look at the outfield. I think this has a p- potential to be a really strong defensive outfield. I mean, Hap is obviously already the returning gold glove winner in left field. And Cody Bellinger, for all the questions about his bat and whether he can get back to his MVP form hitting, you know, he is a great defensive center fielder. And it's it's actually a little bit shocking at this point that, you know, if you'd have told me in 2017, 2018, that, hey, by 2022, you're going to be looking at Cody Bellinger the way people look at, you know, Kiermaier. But like, eh, I don't know about that. But here we are. So hopefully his bat bounces back, but his glove is always played. So I think that has the potential to be a really strong position. And when you look at the negative 19 that was posted defensive run saved last year by center fielders, that is not helping your pitching staff. That is not helping your right fielder. That is leaving Hap on an island. And you suddenly get Bellinger out there. He's a great athlete. He's fast. He's got range. He's He can take charge out there. I think he takes some of the pressure off, say, a Suzuki. And, you know, say it was a negative four defensive run saved last year, but you also have to remember coming over from Japan – he had never played Wrigley Field before, and that's one of the toughest right fields to play in baseball. So he has a year of that under his belt, and now he should be able to get some assist from center field as opposed to kind of the giant mess the, the Cubs had out there last year. I mean, when when we break down the center fielders last year, I mean, it, it's kind of shocking. I mean, Hap played out there a little bit, but 
Jason Hayward was negative two defensive runs saved. Hermosillo was negative two. Rafael Ortega was negative three. Patrick Wisdom was negative one. Christopher Morrell was negative six. Nelson Velasquez was negative six. I mean, it just on and on and on, guy after guy after guy struggled out there. And so I think that probably forced Saya into going after balls he maybe wasn't comfortable going after. He certainly had to chase some down that you know Cody Bellinger is going to get to this year. So I think it's going to make everything better. And when you start – so when you look at D- defensive run save, DRS, when you look at that stat, it's kind of a – you know, Fangraphs has a good chart kind of showing how to use it. If you're 15-plus DRS, you're definitely gold glove caliber. You're in the discussion or you're winning the award. If you're north of 10, you're great. So Ian Happ came in about 13 last year. Um, left field is not typically a um, – you know, super high-end premium defensive position. Um, so 13 was good enough to get him the gold glove. And this, you know, keep in mind too that this stat is measured as the value you provide above the average player at that position. So HAPS 13 is compared to left fielders. The negative six from Christopher Morrell in center field is compared to center fielders. So when you look at that this year, you know, I expect the Cubs to be significantly above average still in left field. I expect them to be significantly above average at shortstop. I expect them to be significantly above average at second base. I think they're going to be significantly above average at catcher. And I think right field can at least get back to probably average, probably a worst, as long as, you know, say a Suzuki's playing out there most of the year. When you look at the team defensive metrics from last year and you look at, I mean, I'll stick with defensive run safe because that's what we're, we've been working with here. You know, the Yankees were far and away the best defensive team in baseball. They had a DRS of 129. Second place was the Dodgers at 86. So you start to stack those things up and you look at who were the top defensive teams last year. Yankees, playoffs. Dodgers, playoffs. Guardians, playoffs. Cardinals, playoffs. Astros, playoffs. You know, the the highest team to not make the playoffs was the Diamondbacks at six. And they were in the mid-50s. The Cubs finished last year 21st in baseball at four, four defensive runs saved. And you know that that four was carried by Gomes and Happ and Horner for the most part and Rivas. So looking ahead to this year, you start putting above average players in center field, get right field back to average. You're now going to have an above average second baseman. Hopefully you don't lose too much at first base. Catcher should be pretty elite. You know, the Cubs should probably pretty easily be able to add you know, 30, 40 points to what they had last year. And if they get up in the 40s, you know, they're in the, you know, the Seattle Mariners were 10th at 36, or they I guess tied with the Orioles for 9th at 36 defensive runs saved. The only other team with in the 40s was the Toronto Blue Jays. So if, if the Cubs can get themselves into the upper 30s, 40s, you know, they're going to be a top 10 defense. And that's going to be really, really important with a pitching staff that pitches to contact. You, know, you go up and down the what's expected to be the rotation. Marcus Stroman is not a huge strikeout pitcher. He pitches to contact. Kyle Hendricks, if he's back, heavily pitches to contact. Jamison Tyone has a pretty low strikeout rate, pitches to contact. Justin Steele might be the biggest strikeout guy in that rotation, but he pitches to a good amount of contact. And you start going through those guys, Drew Smiley, Hayden Wesneski, you know, Adrian Sampson, Javier Assad, if they're needed for the rotation, like all these guys pitch to contact and they do a good job of not giving up a lot of hard contact, but contact means balls in play that have to be fielded. So the Cubs have at least done what seems to be an excellent job of upgrading that defense from atrocious to hopefully 
maybe this defense can be elite. I think they can certainly be above average. And that starts playing in, you know, baseball is a scoring and run prevention game. I think the Cubs, I think there's plenty of reason to think the offense will be better. I'll dive into that a little bit more in the weeks ahead. You know, you've upgraded second base by moving Horner over there. You've upgraded shortstop by bringing in Dansby and his power. Hopefully you can do better at third base with Morrell having another year of maturity and hopefully only playing wisdom primarily against lefties. Um, First base didn't do a whole lot of offensive production for the Cubs last year anyway, so I think Eric Hosmer is actually an upgrade. And if Matt Mervis can do what he did all through the minors last year, that's certainly an upgrade. You know, Happ and Say are pretty much the same guys. Now you're downgrading on offense at catcher by moving away from Wilson Contreras. And they may be downgrading at DH as well because it'll be however they use that spot, whether it's Nick Madrigal, whether it's like a rotation of guys having the day off. You're not going to have Wilson Contreras out there roughly half the games. Um, but I think Seiya Suzuki can be better. You know, even Cody Bellinger at the production he's given the past couple years, frankly, is an upgrade over what the Cubs got out of center field last year. So I think, you know, the Dansby is off. The addition of Dansby is offset by losing Contreras. Otherwise, I think the offense is better. Are they going to score a ton? I don't think they're going to be a, you know, certainly not a top 10 offense in baseball unless things really break right. But I think they can be a little bit better. And I think the pitching staff is going to continue to be good. So as long as they can stay healthy and get those guys out there. Now, one thing we'll do in a future episode, we'll take a look at this too, but go take a look at the Cubs schedule. It's very front loaded. So the Cubs are done with the Dodgers in April, I believe. They play a lot of San Diego, they got the Yankees, they have a lot of good teams the first half of the season. So the Cubs may wind up being five or ten games under five hundred as the as they hit in the all-star break. And if that's the case, as long as guys are pretty much playing well and you know there's no no huge run of injuries, they're not getting absolutely blown out all the time. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism because then that second half of the schedule next year is pretty soft. As, as we look at it on paper heading into 2023, I think um, the Cubs have a lot of Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and lower end of other divisions. Um, so there's Washington Nationals. They play a bunch in the second half. So I think the Cubs goal should be to hang around. If, if, if they're contending, if they are fighting neck and neck with the Cardinals for the division lead at the all-star break, look out because they're probably going to add at the deadline and then that schedule gets soft. And I haven't looked at everybody else's schedule but the Cubs is so unbalanced, I can't imagine that too many other teams are as unbalanced as that have a schedule as unbalanced as that one is. So, you know, we gotta hope the Cubs get out quick and the pitching continues to build. But if they are hanging around, if they're, you know, within five games of five hundred at the all star break, that will not be reason to panic. That will be reason to start looking ahead to the second half and hopefully they can get get things going. So it's Cubs convention weekend. First time we've had one of those since before the pandemic, and I'm I'm not going to be able to make it, but I'm still pretty excited about it. Um, I was hoping to be able to go this year, but it's not a great weekend for my family for me to get away. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, hopefully people behave themselves more or less. Um, hopefully we hear, maybe we'll hear about a contract extension. I'm kind of hoping uh, maybe Ian Happ gets to announce something on the compound, but yeah, no, no inside info on that from me. It would just be really cool to hear. Um, but tune into the compound live from Cubs Con. If you have a chance, get out there and uh, you know 
go meet some of the players, participate in the sessions, have some fun. And that's going to be kind of the last big splash before spring training. We're about a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, I'm hoping to make one trip down to spring training, you know, probably maybe that first weekend that they play games. Um, I can't wait to see this team on the field again. You know, we, we, we watched this team all season. We've seen the teardown. We've seen the start of a rebuild. And now they've, you know, did they do enough? We can all debate whether they did enough. I wish they had done a little bit more this offseason. But they have definitely made themselves better. And the way last season finished, I'm anxious to see them get on the field. I want to, I want to see what Matt Mervis looks like in big league camp. I want to see if Christopher Morrell looks like a more confident, more potentially productive hitter at the plate. I want to see if Seiya Suzuki looks much more comfortable out there than he started last year. So there's a lot I'm looking forward to, and mostly I'm just ready. You know, it's the middle of January, and we're kind of all in that mode. Uh, at least I'm, I guess at least I'm not in the cold Chicago weather, but um, it's time. It's time to start looking ahead to spring. Let's get this thing going. And so pay attention to Cubs Con. Hopefully there's some fun stuff that comes out of it, and we'll talk a little bit more in the coming weeks. Thank you for spending time with me today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you liked what you heard, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPS+, and now also on TikTok at CubsPS+. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs and enjoy CubsCon if you're going.